You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest on this episode. He's a Chronicles of Aguna favourite, but he hasn't been on uh, for a while. We were actually just discussing off air how long it's been, and I can't believe uh, it's been about a year. But welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to the show, the brilliant James Cook. James, how are you, first of all, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. I'm even better now. You've had me on a wonderful podcast. I've got to say before we start, the, the work you've been doing through the transfer window, just over the past year building up Chronicles of Aguna, I mean, it's you know some of the best Arsenal content out there and, and the work you're putting in, putting out these podcasts. I'm sure there's, there's loads of people um, that, that watch your videos that don't probably appreciate this, the work that goes into it. But um, uh, trust me, if you're watching this guy, the, the work and effort he's putting into it is fantastic. So yeah, just... Uh, just wanted to kick off by saying that, mate. You're doing a really good job in the Arsenal community at the minute. I'll pay you later. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that, man. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you back on and looking forward to talking Arsenal. And it, as we said, it's been a real long while since we've sat down and, and spoken about Arsenal. And a lot has obviously happened. Arsenal season last season, you know, it, it wasn't the campaign that we all wanted. I think a lot of us were kind of holding on to that Europa League dream as a potential bit of silverware but also a route back into the Champions League which was obviously our goal at the start of the season and when all that went downhill I guess uh, it felt like a really disappointing campaign. The summer's been and gone there's been a lot of talk about the transfer market whether Arsenal have underwhelmed whether Arsenal have done the business that they needed to so I guess I wanted to start off by getting your thoughts on that James because we haven't spoken in such a long time. What do you make of Arsenal's transfer window overall and I guess how would you rate it? It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? There's so many mixed opinions on it. And I think um, it's interesting that Edu's come out and given that interview recently, kind of justifying what he's done. It, it tells you just how much pressure and scrutiny the club are under at the minute that they feel they have to come out. And fair play to him for coming out and doing it. But I think he's left himself open to more criticism than maybe he was open to before he did that interview, where he's failed to give um, targets for the club, you know, covering his own back, covering the board's back. Um, I'm sure there are internal targets that he doesn't want to give away because there is that real cautious feeling in the air that we're not sure where we're going to finish or what we're going to do this season. Obviously, I think, you know, we were so disappointed with how we started against Brentford. And I think that, you know, that was the game where we had to get three points, but then to follow it up with those two really dismal performances against City and Chelsea. Um, it, it really doesn't help the course, really, does it? And uh, I mean, that comes off the back of what was a transfer that so many people are, are underwhelmed by. I think, you know, when we were linked to the likes of Matoro Martinez, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited when we got uh, linked to him. But then for it to be nothing more than a rumour and for us to end up with, you know, White, Ramsdale, Tavares, Lekonga, Erdegaard. Um, you know, I, I'm still very excited by these signings, but we are banking a lot on potential and what could possibly happen. Um, we're spending a lot of money in 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 players that we, you know, we don't know how good they're going to be. I think all, all the players we've got, I think they are going to have very good careers. I don't think they're going to go the way of, say, Mustafi or Kalasnach, who just kind of fizzled out at Arsenal. I think um, whatever happens in their future career, I think they, they do look like very solid players to me. 
And obviously that's why we spend so much money on them. But my question mark would be, are these going to be the players that elevate us to the level of, you know, I'm thinking very far in the future here, but that level we aspire to be at, where you're looking at Liverpool, City, Chelsea, etc., etc. And it does seem like such a, dis- a distant dream at the minute. Um, but I still can't help but look at, you know, Chelsea and how they turn things around so quickly when they got rid of Lampard, brought in Tuchel. Obviously, they, they spent a lot of money on the likes of Havertz, etc. last summer. Um, and we, you know, we haven't bought finished articles. But it's kind of similar in a way where they brought in Werner, they brought in Havertz, guys that are, are young. You know, they've got a lot of potential, a lot to give. And I think they're kind of reaping the rewards of that at the moment. And I'd hope that with the players that we've signed, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I thought we we're going to see immediate success. But I think once this team does come together, once we see White and Gabriel together, once we see Tommy Asu right back, I mean, I love his profile, you know, really energetic, big um, player that can also fill in a right centre-half. That's really exciting. And then with Partey, Lukonga in midfield, I think, you know, we've got options there. We've got options in depth and I think there is a lot to be excited about. But ultimately, you know, I'm not going to start getting excited about the transfers until we start to see them come together, until until the performances get better, because that's the problem, isn't it? And I'm sure you'll agree. Um, it, it's the manager of these players that seems to be causing the fundamental problem at the minute. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what 11 he puts out, they just don't seem to be clicking at the minute. Yeah, completely agree. You know, I think my view on the transfer window has been quite clear throughout. It's been, yes, there's a strategy, which obviously Edu came out and explained. Yes, I'd rather there was a strategy than we were just messing around and doing what we've done in years gone by and bringing in players on big wages who we then not seen the best of and then been stuck with. And then that's obviously left a bit of a hangover for managers sort of uh, in recent seasons to have to pick up the kind of to, to have to pick up those issues and to have to deal with them and to have to rectify them. But I, I've got the same concern as you. Are these players good enough today to get us to the level that we need to be? And I feel like as as Arsenal Football Club, we do have a minimum standard. For me, that minimum standard is we've got to be in Europe. And, you know, Arsenal need to be challenging for the top six. I'm realistic. I don't see a top four challenge this season. I, I never saw a top four challenge this season. I think the first three games of the season have, have convinced a lot of people that that was never going to happen. But I think there was some sort of going into it who thought, well, if we have a good window here, maybe we could bridge that gap. I just think that Arsenal have fallen so far in the last couple of years. Two consecutive eighth place finishes is not something that you're going to bounce back from straight away unless you're going to make that Chelsea-like investment that you mentioned, where you are going to go in and bring in three or four players who are all the finished article. I think we talk a lot about the money that we've spent this summer and why maybe we didn't go down the route of bringing in two or three top-class players rather than six players who might go on to become uh, very good servants to the club. And I guess for me, it's because we had too much to do. Is that how you see it, James, that there were so many issues in this squad that it was, you know, we couldn't afford to sign a couple of players and then wait again and sign another couple of players because all of that time, as that time passes, some of your more senior players are maybe getting a little bit over the hill. You struggle to hold on to the ones that you brought in the summer prior because the ambition that they came to the club with is not being shown in the performances. I think that the rebuild had to be this drastic and and that's why I think Arsenal have adopted this strategy. What's your kind of take on that? I think, you know, there's a lot of debate to be had around it. I think there's certain ways we could have spent that money differently. I think, 
especially the signing of Aaron Ramsdale. I, you know, I, I really liked what I saw from him in that game against West Brom. I'm not going to jump the gun and say, oh, you know, it's going to be the next David Seaman. I just don't know if that's going to happen. But I like I like what I've seen so far, even though it was kind of a, a game where we were against nothing opposition, with all due respect to West Brom. Um, it was a really, really tough, uh, you know, it, I think I was going to say a tough game, but what I meant to say was it was, um, I think it's, it's a good signing in the long term. You know, a goalkeeper under the age of 23, potentially got in for 10 years plus, and he's a lot better with his feet. Um, someone like Leno is and Leno's future seems to be so up in the air at the moment you know similarly to someone like Granit Jacker, who albeit has signed a long-term contract his future just seems to always be up in the air at the minute um, so signing a player in that position for the long term is great did it need to be done now I'm not so sure I mean it's a lot a lot of money on a player that you know is, is essentially possibly going to be a backup I'd like to see him challenge Leno and at some point this season you know, prove his worth, prove that we've made the right investment and get into the team ahead of him and then ultimately ship Leno out next summer. I think that's that's what we're all expecting to happen. And I think that would look like a more sensible piece of business. The one that really caught me off guard was Ben White. Um, I, I didn't see that one coming a million miles off. Uh, when, when he was our first signing of the summer, um, it seemed to come, come out of nowhere, really, because I think so many of us were like, OK, well, we've lost Louise, but we've got Saliba coming back into the team. And I know there was a lot of promo stuff we did with Saliba. I remember an interview he did with um, Ian Ryan. I was thinking, OK, well, you know, they're doing all this marketing material around him. Surely he's going to slot back into the team. Whatever has happened there, I have no idea. And people forget he cost 35 million quid um, and he's not kicked a ball in an Arsenal shirt yet. It's mental what's going on there. Um, I would maybe have liked to have seen him come into the team. Yeah, I know he's young, but so is Ben White. Um, and, and having Saliba, Gabriel, Rob Holding, you know, even Callum Chambers um, and Pablo Mari, uh, whatever you think of him, um, as options at centre-half, I think that would have been pretty good going into the season. But I think the club, you know, whether they're looking to identify homegrown talent or something like that. Um, ben White, I think he's a, he's a good good acquisition. Uh, definitely overpaid for him, um, but he's come with that English premium. And, you know, I'm just excited to see all, all these players come together. That's that's the main thing for me, because I think, you know, in Arteta's defence, the one thing we haven't seen yet is Partey properly in the team. We've not seen White and Gabriel come together. Um, you know, we've not seen Erdegaard, Smith Rowe exactly, you know, playing in their natural positions alongside each other. So I think there's a lot to be excited about, but but like I, I said previously, unless he's getting a tune out of the team, um, you know, we, we could have Messi, Neymar uh, out there. And, and, you know, he's, he's got to get it right because there's so many things, especially in our game against City, that I was left scratching my head about um, playing Kolasinac. Erdegaard in central midfield. Um, it's those things that are really leaving me more concerned than the, the personnel that we're bringing in at the minute. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to have concerns about Mikel Arteta. It's absolutely fair to be questioning whether he's the man to take us forward. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I just think that some of the points that you mentioned, like the fact that we have had players missing, the fact that we haven't been able to name the side that we want to necessarily yet, are things that you also need to consider when judging him. And I, I think that there are people out there who unfortunately have made their minds up maybe from before, but now are kind of when they're trying to push that agenda of, you know, he needs to be sacked today. They're almost dismissing those things. And I don't think that's fair. I think in order to judge him fairly and assess Arsenal's situation uh, properly and get a true reflection of where we're at as a team, it, it would be foolish to dismiss a lot of those factors. But, you know, as I've said many times on this podcast over the last couple of weeks, if I woke up tomorrow and heard that Mikel Arteta has been sacked, I wouldn't be surprised. And I couldn't really make that much of an argument against it, to be honest. Looking ahead to the future, because 
Obviously, the international break is nearly over. Arsenal return to action at Emirates Stadium on Saturday with a game against Norwich City. It's a game that we should be winning. Um, you know, it's it's a real opportunity for Arsenal to, to get their season going. Obviously, we talk about a lot of those players that have been missing. A lot of them are going to be returning to fitness. We've heard that Emil Smith-Rowe might be a doubt now, but I think that's one we can kind of live with. So, what are you expecting from Arsenal aside from the win on Saturday? Because that's obvious. But what is it that you want to see from the team that we perhaps haven't seen in the early weeks? One thing I really want to see is a settled starting eleven, because you know there's no excuses now. We've got the players at our disposal. I think there's maybe one or two question marks over players that that might not feature. I know a lot of people are saying, you know, let's not rush party back. But I'm going to be honest, we kind of have to. <laughs> like, we really, really need him in midfield. Uh, we've not got Jacker. you know, whether you think that's a miss or not, you know, we're missing someone else in midfield. Um, I, I'd be surprised if Tommy Yasu played. I know I, I tweeted that I wanted to see him play, uh, but I think, you know, he's not had much time in London. I don't think he's even trained with the Arsenal team before, so I'd, it might be a surprise to see him start. But Again, he's a player that we need to see um, sooner rather than later. And, you know, do we leave it to the North London derby to see him in an Arsenal shirt for the first time? It might be actually better to even play him for 30 minutes or something off the bench in this game just to get him up to speed uh, with the Premier League. And given his profile, like I previously mentioned, big guy, really good in the air. I think he's going to be perfect. A bit like Tavares. I think these two, they're good physical options to have at fullback and very different from the other options we've got when you look at Tierney and, and Cedric. And personally, I don't think Cedric is is at the level at the minute. And I don't know if it's just because he's really out of form, because I'll be honest, I rated Cedric towards the second half of last season. I thought he had some good games at right back. I thought you know, he had some quiet games where he didn't do anything, but he never did anything wrong in my eyes. He was a good deputy. And then he had those really good games at left back. I remember there was a game against Southampton. I think it was in the yep. FA Cup. Or That's was right. it the FA Cup? We went, it was the FA Cup we went out, I think, but it was the Premier League game. And he was fantastic at left back. And I don't know why, but similarly to Murray, he's just fallen off a cliff edge. And I think, you know, when you look at those players that we brought in, you know, we, we signed them up to ridiculously long contracts on probably astronomical wages. But when you look at them as depth players, they don't look bad on paper. But for some reason or another, whether that be down to the system we're playing or just a severe lack of confidence, they've, they've just gone from not quite hero, but good player to zero. So that that's a frustration. And I think if Cedric does start this game as the more natural option at right back as opposed to Callum James. I mean, James is another one that had a really good spell at right back last season, but now doesn't seem quite up. I really think it's a lack of confidence. You know, we really need a win and we'll see better performances from some of these individuals. So I think we will see Cedric at right back. But um, as I say, I just want to see a a good settled starting eleven, one that I can actually make sense of because, you know, the other starting elevens we've seen this season, I've not been able to make head nor tail of. Um, because yeah, they seem to line up in so many different ways. It seems to switch formation so often throughout the game, which I appreciate. I like how dynamic it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd just like to see something that makes a bit more sense to me from the get-go. And then aside from that, just a good performance. You know, if we if we hit the bar 10 times but win 1-0, um, at least I'll be encouraged by what I've seen. Uh, whereas, you know, if we get a scrappy 2-1 win, winning it in the last minute in a game where we've been dominated, that won't be the most encouraging. And I think anything less than three points in this game, then... You know, the pitchforks are really going to be out for Arteta. But, you know, this is the perfect time for him to shut people up, you know, myself included, because I don't want to be moaning about him week in, week out. I think I'd I'd be amazed if there's an Arsenal fan out there that doesn't want him to succeed. I want nothing more than for him to do really, really well. But at the minute, it's, it's just not working. And that's not you, me or whoever it may be being negative for the sake of being negative. I don't want to be negative. 
no one wants to be negative about exactly. Arsenal, but well, some people do. But I think yeah. there's, there's yeah, yeah, we 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 want to feel positive about the club. I I was buzzing going into that Chelsea game. I was absolutely buzzing going into it. I don't know, you know, I think a lot of us have seen it as a write-off beforehand, and I I, I kind of put myself in that crowd, but. I don't know, when I got to the Emirates and I was filled with that full sense of optimism, it, it just felt like after five, ten minutes, you know, OK, maybe maybe we could get something out of this game. Um, but then obviously it went downhill very, very quickly. So um, I, it's just it's just one of the, those, isn't it? I want to get to the game. I want to feel optimistic. I want to feel excited about the club and getting an early goal and getting a good statement victory. I'm not expecting 5-6-0, but a good 2-0 win, keep a clean sheet. Um, and just shut a few people up because you've got people like Gary Neville coming for us. That Cave off Sky, you know, what he was saying on deadline day, I couldn't get my head around that. Um, everyone's having a dig at Arsenal and we've got to shut people up sooner rather than later. And this is the opportunity to do it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I couldn't agree more. I think this is, for me, I'm looking for not just the 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 victory, the result. I'm looking for the performance as well. I'm looking to see Arsenal be aggressive. Mikel Arteta talked, on multiple occasions last season about, you know, the the team missing the fans in the stadium, where there are going to be fans at the Emirates Stadium on Saturday. I thought the crowd were really supportive, actually, in the game against Chelsea, for the most part, uh, considering that we were second best by a country mile. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that continues. I'm hoping that we see that energy and then that feeds off onto the players and we can see a really aggressive Arsenal and put Norwich to the sword and, and really start to convince some people that, OK, we're not saying that Mikel Arteta is the greatest manager in the world and we're not saying that Arsenal are at the level where they're going to compete for the Champions League. But it's it's fair to say, James, isn't it, that despite all the criticism and despite people looking at the Premier League table right now and going into absolute meltdown, Arsenal are not that bad. We're not a bottom-of-the-table team and we're not going to stay there over the course of the season. I mean, am I being arrogant in saying that or, or do you feel like, because the reaction has been almost as though we're in a relegation dogfight, but we're only three weeks into the season. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're three games in. You said it yourself right there. Uh, you know, we live in this world of social media where people will poke fun at Arsenal um, so so easily, so quick. I mean, it's not just Arsenal. People poke fun at every team. You know, we've got fans that will poke fun at United fans, etc., etc., um, so on and so forth. But after three games, to be making those sort of assumptions that we're in a relegation dogfight, yeah, it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an easy laugh. And, you know, we put ourselves in that position. Um, there's no getting away from that fact because we've not been good. And I think all Arsenal fans are self-aware enough to know that we're, you know, we're, we've not been very good over the course of those three games and there's hell of a lot of work to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit nerve-wracking at the moment. I won't lie, just because the performances haven't been there. But uh, like, like we said at the start of the podcast, he has had so many players out. Um, and I think... You know, I, I tweeted about it last night and, and you replied to it about that game at Wolves. Because that sticks in my mind so much from last season, the 2-1 defeat at Wolves. Because we were so good in that first half. Like, probably, the, the reason it sticks out to me is because that's, you know, aside from all the other victories we had last season, that's the one, even though it was a defeat, we, we were genuinely probably the best I've seen us play in that first half. Agreed. It's amazing that we lost that game. Um, but that that's what you know, makes me um an R about Arteta because he can get that out of this team. But then, you know, like the game against City, some of the things he did were just mind-boggling. The game against Chelsea where we didn't match him and we were so exposed on that left-hand side of the pitch. There's glaringly obvious things he gets wrong. But when he gets it right, even when we beat those, um, it, when we won those games in the in the FA Cup in 2020, 
when he beat City, when he beat Chelsea. He was smart, he was intelligent, he looked at the opposition. But now it's almost, I don't want to say it's stemming into arrogance, but I feel like maybe he's jumping the gun a little bit in terms of he might think this squad is better than it actually is. Or he, he thinks, you know, we brought these players in immediately, they should start clicking and it, it should start working. Um, I don't think he's aware enough of the opposition. I definitely don't think he was aware enough of the opposition against Chelsea. And I think against City, uh, fair enough, he lined up with the uh, <clears throat> back three slash back five. But the players that he had in those roles weren't necessarily the right... I mean, they weren't the right fit for those roles. So it's things like that that, that worry me a little bit. And I don't think we, you know, we're going to be in a relegation dogfight this season. That would be that'd be catastrophic given how much we've, we've spent and, and where we need to be. Um, but like I said, if we don't, don't win this game, then people will start will start talking about that. I remember it happened last season. Do you remember when we had that horrendous run of form yeah, at home? We, we lost the most. Time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if, we, if we're around that position around, you know, late October, November time, obviously people are going to start thinking, you know, OK, this this could genuinely genuinely happen. I think when things do click, um, we, we will see an improved performance. But, it, you know, it's all down to Arteta, as, as I previously said. Um, we, we all know he's got to get a tune out of this team sooner rather than later because in football, you don't have time to turn it around, really. Um, you certainly don't anymore. It's, it's strange. I was actually looking up um, Sir Alex Ferguson's Wikipedia earlier. I didn't realise that uh, he didn't really do much with United in his first couple of seasons. They had a couple of mid-table finishes. And, um, obviously, football's changed enormously since, since his time. But... Um, if you do compare that to someone like Arteta, I mean, like I say, the landscape of football has changed enormously um, and, and the way the game is perceived is massively different now. But it's, it's interesting, you know, how, how long it can potentially take to get things to work, to get your system, your philosophy in place. Um, but it's just those little things that don't make sense to me. And, you know, you've got to remember this is a guy that's never managed a football team before. So I think there is a, a lot riding on an inexperienced technical director, an inexperienced manager and a group of very young players. It's it's an exciting mix, but also a potentially calamitous mix. So um, we'll see how things go over the next couple of weeks. And you know, we, we can only start as we mean to go on, and that's by getting a good win against Norwich. So what do you expect from the next three games? Because obviously we've got Norwich, then we travel to Burnley, and then we take on Spurs in the North London derby. I'm talking about the Premier League games. I know we've got that game against AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup sandwiched in between. But what is it you're expecting in terms of a points return? Because for me, I think we can't afford to get anything less than seven points. And I'm only accepting seven points, James, if that draw comes against Spurs. Obviously, I want to beat Spurs, but I recognise they're a much better side than both Norwich and Burnley. And so that's going to be a difficult game, given it's the derby as well. Would you think that seven points is, is fair or do you want nine? How, how do you see it? I want nine, but realistically, I think seven is is a given. How this season has started, I think it's a good target. I know there's a lot of people on on Twitter saying that you know if he fails to get anything other than nine points, he he should lose his job. That won't happen. If we get seven points out of nine, I guarantee that will be seen as a good starting point for. I mean, what we're almost viewing is the refreshed start of the season starting on Saturday for us. Um, and to be honest, it, it it wouldn't be a bad return. I mean, Burnley away is a tough game, like. Don't get it twisted. We, I think, we, did we draw there last season? I think it was. Um, and whenever we have gone there in the past, it's never been easy. It's always been really, really scrappy. And they're going to make it hard for us. Big physical team. Um, I think they're probably going to think that they're, they're in with a good opportunity of beating us. I mean, any team in the Premier League thinks that at the minute. Any any team wants to play Arsenal at the moment because we are, I hate to say, we are so beatable. 
um, because when that first goal goes in, we just we just capitulate as we have done in seasons seasons gone by, which I, I thought was the thing that Arteta had seemed to eradicate, um, but it now seems to be creeping into bit more of a problem unfortunately um but yeah seven points from those games would as i say it would be a good starting point but if we beat norwich and then we beat burnley and i think then if we um we failed to beat spurs that that will be seen as frustrating because we'll have built the foundation there with those two potential wins and then we'll be in a really good position with you hopefully fit team barring any injuries um to beat to beat that spurs side and don't get me wrong it's a good spurs team they're well drilled the minute under nuno um I don't know if they play the most exciting football, but what I will say is they've got they they are well drilled, and that's exactly what Nuno was going to bring to that side. Whatever people thought of his appointment, you know, defensively they were going to be a bit more sound, and that's exactly what they've been. Um, so that's going to be a really tough game, and you've got to be realistic. I mean, I was lying in bed last night. Don't ask why. Just thinking about the teams that finished above us, and you know, you've got the the four obvious ones that finished in the top four, but then aside from that, you've got Leicester, West Ham, and Spurs. And really, are we better than those teams? At the moment, we're not. But if we're going to change that, then what better way to shift the dynamic than by beating our biggest rivals? And, you know, I'd be more than happy. Well, I wouldn't be more than happy, but if Spurs went on to win their next couple of fixtures and then we went into that game and just knocked them off their pedestal, that would be that'd be beautiful. That's something I'd love to see. I mean, it, it throws me back to the, the North London derby, um, the 5-2 in 2012, where we were really up against it. Spurs were something like 10 points ahead of us. And then we went on to uh, to finish above them in the season. And that was, you know, long, long time ago. Very different team. We had Van Persie back then. Um, and that's when Arteta was playing for us. But this is a really good opportunity for Arsenal. And these are three um, really big games for us. But I don't think any of them come bigger than that. this one on Saturday. It sounds crazy, a game at home to Norwich. But due to the pressure that's on him, the pressure on the team, the pressure just on the fan base, I think we're all feeling it. Yeah, I dread to think what will happen if we don't win that game. Um, but yeah, I think seven points is, is a realistic target from those next three. Yeah, all of us are kind of looking at it as a fan base, as, as this group of three games. You know, what's what's Mikel Arteta got to do in these next three weeks to get uh, to relieve the pressure, to get Arsenal back on track? And I think actually, I think you make a great point. It, the main focus has got to be, let's go and beat Norwich first and take it each week as it comes. It's the only way you really can focus and turn the form around, uh, you know, properly. I think if we do beat Norwich, if we do beat Burnley off the back of that, going into that North London derby, I think all of us will be looking at it very, very differently. So, you know, football, the mood in football can change quite quickly. It can become really low uh, in a really short space of time, but you can also turn things around quite quickly as well, which is one of the beauties of our sport, I guess. Um, we're talking a lot about sort of the forward line uh, over the last few days on the podcast. And I did a show, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, where we talked about what I believe to be our best starting eleven when everybody's fit. I'm just interested to get your kind of front four. So I'm talking about the number 10, the two wide men and the centre forward, because there's a lot of options. There's Lacazette, there's Aubameyang, there's Pepe, there's Saka, there's Martinelli, there's Smith-Rowe, there's Erdegaard, etc., etc. So... If everybody's fit, what would be your front four? And I guess why? I think at, at the moment, it would be Saka, Pepe, Erdegaard and Aubameyang. Um, I think as much as I like Smith-Rowe and, you know, it's great for him what he did towards the back end of last season. And, um, uh, you know, it's great to see a guy from Hale End come through. And I, I, I love the guy. Just first of all, I really, really think he's a, a fantastic player. I think I want to have a fantastic career at Arsenal. Um, but the reality is, 
him and Saka, neither of them contribute a great deal in terms of goals and assists. And when I'm looking at a player that is so influential to the squad, I think Saka is that guy. And I think he can get away with not having as many goals or assists because he is so influential in the final third. And I think those st- statistics are kind of um, manipulated a little bit because he does play that that ball before the assist or he does play that killer pass that opens a team up or he dribbles at a team, then plays the ball into someone else who makes the pass forward. Um, and that's what I love about Saka. And Smith-Rowe in Venice does do that, but I don't think he does it as much as Saka does. And I think, you know, I would be happy with either one of them, chopping and changing. But I think when you look at, you know, that that game uh, England played the other day and how much Saka contributes to that, and I, I just think he's getting better and better so quickly. And that's why I'd want to continue with him in an Arsenal shirt for the time being. But then having an option like Smith-Rowe, if you wanted to play him off the left with Erdegaard in the middle, I mean, different players with different situations. That's what having strength in depth is all about. I mean, that's why City have got, you know, they've got Greenish, they've got Gundogan, they've got um, Bernardo Silva. They've got so many different options available to them. We've now got that to a lesser extent with Smith-Rowe, with Erdegaard, with Saka, with Martinelli. So, you know, if there is a time where we want to drop Pepe, for example, if he's out of form or we just need to give him a rest, for example, bring someone like Smith-Rowe in, just as I say, chop and change it. We've got the players to do it now. And if you want someone to open up a team or if we're struggling nil-nil at home or away, to have someone different to bring on or to add to the attack with those attacking players, if we really want to go gun ho it's good to have those options. And that's what that's what excites me most about them. So I think although that front four, that would be my ideal front four going forward, I'm quite happy if it interchanges quite a bit, if we see those players come in. But for me, Pepe is the one I want to, I want to stick with for the time being. I know he's had a pretty um, jaded start to to this season, but what I saw from the back end of last season in terms of output and the fact that he's one of our top goal scorers last season, and you know we've made such an investment in this guy. He's got to be starting week in, week out for Arsenal at this point, hasn't he? Um, and as I say, he contributes to this team. Whatever you think of him, he, he does contribute. And this game is Norwich. I know I keep referring to it, but this is a good game for him. Um, if we can open Norwich up in a way that will work to his uh, potential, um, which I think we can do if we play the right way, uh, then it's, it could be a really good starting point, not just for the team, but for someone like Nicola Pepe as well. And I, I really liked when we played him off the left last season. I thought that worked really well. And we seem to be deploying him more on the right-hand side with Saka on the left. I'm not sure why we've shifted away from it being the other way around, because I thought that worked really well. Saka played really well on the right, and that's where he seems to play for England now as well. Um but as I say, it's good to have options, players that can play across multiple positions and players with different situations and players that ultimately can all play together in a seamless, fluid way. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's um, as I say, my front four would be Pepe, Saka, um, Aubameyang and Erdogan, but it's, it's very interchangeable for me with the options that we've got. Yeah, agree. And when we say that we want to see a settled 11, I'm, I'm not so fussed about that part of the team because I think that that is a bit that you can tinker with because we do have quality there. It's a, an area of the park that you can say, OK, against this opponent, I feel this is going to work better. I feel like the back four needs to be settled and I feel like we need to settle on that double midfield pivot. That's what's most important for me. And then, as you say, you can change players and rotate players in those more advanced areas. And, and you know, if someone's having a bad game, you know, you've got options to bring off the bench and, and potentially change it. So that's, for me, the, the way to go. Set up that core back line, those two central midfield players, get that base sorted, and then you can rotate and interchange the players uh, leading the line and, and the ones responsible, I guess, for breaking down the opposition. 
Right, before we move on, there are over 250 of you currently watching us live on YouTube alone. Uh, so if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. I don't know why you haven't done it yet, because we've only got 45 likes on the board, but we should easily be able to get up to 100 given there are so many of you watching. Please do hit the like button. It does really, really help the channel, really helps get the video out to as many people as possible. And if you're listening via the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review. That also really, really helps. If you'd like to go one further and become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna, you can do so by clicking the join button below the video. Or if you're listening via the audio platforms, you can click the link in the description. We would love to have you and you get access to our members only Discord server, which is great fun. So head over there uh, if you haven't done so already. Right, let's take some of your questions, fill up the chat box. Let's get a few of your questions in for the last sort of 10 minutes or so. Uh, be really interesting to, to discuss some of the things that you want to hear discussed in these last few minutes. I think a lot of people... Um, in the chat so far, James, feel that I'm being a little bit optimistic with seven points uh, from the, those next three games. It's it's amazing, isn't it, how the kind of mood can, in my opinion, become so negative based on such a short sample size. Because I appreciate that Arsenal's season last season overall was disappointing. I appreciate that we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve. But we've gone from having a really good second half to the season being one of the top performing teams in the Premier League, improving significantly defensively to having a transfer window that's underwhelmed a little bit and then ended up with a poor start. And now all of a sudden it's the worst situation in the world. So I just find it fascinating nowadays how in football things can change so dramatically and so quickly. It's For me, it's draining. I don't know how you feel about it, but I find the whole let's slag off Arsenal Thing draining because we hear it from pundits who have no affiliation with the club. We hear it from anyone and anybody in the media now, opposition fans, and to hear it from our own all the time, I've got to admit, it grinds on me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's just the mood around the fan base, though, at the minute, isn't it? I mean, um, I think Arsenal have really read the room in this situation. You, you see how infrequently they tweet at the minute, um, and they're gradually bulking up those tweets as we're getting into a, into a game, and the City game is kind of in the in the back of our minds and Eddie's come out as I said on that interview I think they are very well aware of the um the restlessness amongst the fan base but I mean it, it is very hard to be positive when you look at those those games I think Arsenal would have been um Arsenal fans would have been forgiving had we lost that game to Chelsea had we lost that game to City but we saw a bit more of a plan a bit more of a structure and a strategy in terms of where we were going um if we were trying to get something out of those games but there was just no no philosophy behind it, really. No thinking. And it was the same for that game against Brentford. Um, I think we, we disrespected them slightly. I don't think we lined up in a way where, you know, we, we had defence defense as our first priority. I mean, you know, we're playing Brentford away from home, newly promoted team. Um, we should be, you know, going going for that game as the more dominant side. But that's not how it played out. And we should have been prepared for that because we're not the team that we once were. And we have to be realistic and prepared for those situations, which we definitely weren't going into that game. And I think that really has set the tone for how the previous games against Chelsea and City really unfolded. Because we saw those stupid mistakes in the game against Brentford. We saw the capitulation. Um, we saw... You know, classic Arsenal of recent years, which has really put a damper on the start of the season. The thing is, it, we started those games against Chelsea and City well. That's the thing that frustrates me. I do remember in the game against Chelsea, Sambi Lakonga made a beautiful half turn. Smith Rowe had a great shot in the first half. We actually looked like we were going to get something out of that game. And it started in a similar way against City. Our press was on point. We looked pretty good. But then 
First goal goes in, everything falls apart. Game plan goes out the window. And I really I really do think there's a confidence issue within the team. Um, I mean, you could say they're forgiven for that at the minute, given how things are going. Um, but also a mentality issue, which has always been a problem at Arsenal. And a lot of people are rightly saying a lot of these young players are coming through and they're, they're being the forefront, the leaders in this team at the minute. But who have they really got to look up to in terms of senior players? At Arsenal, you've got Granit Xhaka, who is big up Rome, speaking about wanting to go over there to Serie A. He's captained us in the first couple of games of the season. Um, I mean, I, I do really rate Aubameyang. I do really respect him. But I, I, do I see him as a captain? No, I don't, to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, and then, you know, Lacazette, who's probably going to leave the club in the next 12 months. So in terms of senior leaders within this, this team, we are really losing them. And that's why I'm, you know, it's, it sounds silly, but I, I am frustrated we didn't sign David Luiz up to another year because I thought he was a really good figurehead to have around the team. And I, I, I don't think he was over the hill, to be honest. I thought, thought last season he was a lot better player than he was in his first season at Arsenal. Okay. I think he just, he, he works in Arteta's system well. And that's another thing. Like, if we were going to save funds this summer, although, you know, I'm fully behind the sign of Ben White, I really hope it works out. But if we wanted to save funds, we could sign David Luiz up to another year, which I think he would have been open to. We don't know, you know, if he said he wants to go and the club have just, you know, granted him that wish, that's fine. Can't do anything about that. But if he was open to having another year on his deal, we could have quite easily kept him and then brought Saliba back in after this loan at Marseille. That was another option we had in terms of, you know, managing the finances a bit better. But the club have gone down this route and, um, yeah, we've just got to stick with it. But I really don't want to speak any more negatively about the club because, as you say, it is draining. It is tiresome coming onto Twitter and seeing nothing but negativity. And the only way that's going to stop is with a really, really good statement victory at the weekend. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But you know it'll be waiting in the wings to crop up again at the first sign of trouble. That's the worry. Uh, let's take this question from Sam uh, just quickly. Uh, he says, would you keep Arteta if he wins against Norwich and Burnley but loses to Spurs? Uh, that's, a, that's a really difficult one. It depends in what manner we win those games. If we mm. win against Norwich and Burnley really well, and then we put up a really good performance against Spurs, but but you know lose the game because as much as I hate to say it, if we lose to the better team, you know that's just football. It can happen, even though I really don't want it to happen against Spurs, and that could be the reality of the situation. If that was to happen and I saw improvement, then I think it, it would be a it wouldn't make sense to sack him. Um, but if we you know we scrape past Norwich, we scrape past Burnley, and then we get hammered by Spurs, then yeah, I think you've probably got to you've probably got to look at that as a potential time to um, to move on. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Agree. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, big hello to Marshall, who says, big up Harry and James. Uh, let's take this one from Muttley. Uh, do we think Ainsley Maitland-Niles could be effective playing as a deep line midfielder as a screen for the defence, basically breaking up play and releasing the more progressive players? I've got my views on Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a midfielder. I, I'm not convinced at this point that he is, he is up to it, to be honest with you. Uh, that's just my view. What's your take on the whole Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation? And, and is he someone you think could do that job that Mike described? No, um, to, to be blunt. I, I don't see him as that type of player. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles sees him as not a deep line midfielder, not someone that's going to break up play. You know, he's barely done that at right back, to be honest. He's he's a very calm, casual player, but his positional awareness at right back I thought was pretty good, which meant he wasn't getting into situations where 
you know, he had to break up play so much where he didn't have to make a last ditch tackle. I just don't see him, you know, I don't see him going into crunching tackles. He's not, he's not got the physical profile for that. And I've just, I've just never seen him do it before. When he was at West Brom, I never saw that from him. He was always slightly further up the pitch, being that more Thomas Partey-like player, getting up the pitch, making that late run into the box, not to the, you know, the, the effectiveness of someone like Aaron Ramsey, for example, in the 13-14 season. Um, so I, I personally don't think he could, uh, he could play that role. And, you know, if you're looking at a player like that, the most obvious candidate we've got in the squad up is El Ney, which pains me to say. Um, but maybe Lukonga could be that player. Um, but again, he, he strikes me as like a party-esque player, not so much a defensive-minded player. Um, so I think that's actually, you know, slightly an area for concern. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh Poor Chop Expresses. So you're okay with just beating the poor teams. Your expectations are in the bin. Nobody's saying that. But it's it's just classic social media for for someone who wants to find something to complain about to pick out one sentence, take it completely out of context and make a whole thing about it. Uh, Jabulani says, are we not more likely to beat both Norwich and Spurs and lose against Burnley? Burnley would definitely give us a big problem. Would you still sack him? That's a really interesting question because you look at the Spurs game and yes, on paper, you, you, you feel it's harder. And obviously, you know, it is because Spurs are a superior side to Burnley. But it does feel like Spurs is a side that we probably could get more joy against just because of the, the way the styles come together. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a valid point. Um, I, like I said, I, I want seven points minimum. That is the minimum. I want nine, obviously, but I expect seven from those next three games. I'd be OK if that draw was against Spurs. I wouldn't be so happy if we drop points at Turf Moor because I don't think you can afford to from the position that we're in now if you're looking to get into Europe. But if we do and then win against Spurs, then, you know, you can quite quickly kind of get over that. I think that's why when I look at games and I look at what I want from a group of games or, or what I expect Arsenal to do in the coming weeks, I do group the games up and I say, well, you know, let's get this amount of points from these next nine available, for example, because football is a funny game. You know, you can, you talked about that uh, game at Wolves last season, James. That's a prime example of a game where Arsenal turned up, played really well, but everything went against them and, and they didn't come away with the victory. But if you can then put that right the week after, then, you know, all is forgiven. The problem is that we haven't been able to put those things right. We haven't always had the mental strength to come out in the second half after a difficult first period like that, or where things kind of turn for the worse at the end of it and bounce back that that lack of character and that lack of strength is is one of the big differences between the arsenal side of the last decade and the arsenal sides of the years prior to that so you know that's a that's a big thing as well um let's see uh what else uh, we've got here uh <laughs> let's see uh jared says uh, unpopular opinion arsenal made a big mistake by sacking emery and promoting arteta as manager based on the fa cup his inexperience and tactical naivety has cost us these past 20 months. I'll start off on this one, James, and then we'll we'll wrap up the show with your thoughts on this. But I, I cannot get behind anybody who thinks that sacking or sacking Unai Emery was a mistake. Unai Emery was not the right fit. Doesn't mean that Mikel Arteta definitely is because he was the man that replaced him. But Unai Emery wasn't the right fit at Arsenal for so many reasons. Why do we keep going back to that? Why do we keep bringing that up? You can have your view on Mikel Arteta, which is absolutely fair enough. But for me to, to keep going back and saying we made a mistake, sacking Emery, is, is wrong because all of us at the time felt that he was at the point where he needed to go. Your view on that, James? 
it's, it's interesting this one because I, I really would love to know where we'd be if we'd have won that game against Crystal Palace at home where he played El Nene, Benduze, Mavro, Panos, a B team, essentially, in a game where all we had to do was get a win. I think we were, we were leading the game and then we threw it away. If we'd have won that game, we'd have got top four. And it, I'd, I'd love to know where we'd be at this moment in time, you know, whether Emery would still be our manager or not. Because at times, like, in that first season, his football, whether it was a hangover from Arsene Wenger's days, I'm not too sure. But looking back to the game in Leicester, where we scored some unbelievable goals in that game, looking back to Valencia away, we had some really, really good games under Emery. I don't think that should be forgotten. Defensively, it was a bit haphazard. It was a bit all over the place. And I think, you know, his transfers are what let him down because you look at the players he brought in and where are they now? Um, basically, Leno's the only one that's really survived out of those guys. But, um, it's, yeah. It, Emery, like you say, towards the end, it was so all over the place and we were just going in the complete wrong direction. Um, and I don't think he had the backing of the squads. The team didn't seem to back him. And uh, we left it too long in the ends with Emery because it wasn't working for for a long, long time, but he had all the options. He had all the possibilities there to, to get us that top four finish. It, we, we, you know, we failed to win at home to Brighton. We threw the game away against Crystal Palace. Um, and I think all we needed was like a point or two to get top four. So it's, um, you know, he shot himself in the foot with that one. The fortunes could have been so different. But in the end, you know, ultimately his style wasn't suited to, to the way we wanted to play. And um, yeah, that's why we are where we are now. We're putting our faith in uh, Mikel Arteta. Indeed. Indeed. Right. We're going to leave it there. Thank you for all your comments. Thank you for all your interaction in the live chat. Uh, make sure you've hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. James, how can people keep up with you on social media? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Harry. Really do appreciate that as always. And um, yeah, just to reiterate what I said at the start, fantastic work again with the podcast. Quality, quality stuff you're putting out there, mate. Um, yeah, if you want to find me on Twitter, keep up to date with um, my irrational uh tweets just um just find me at jecook96 make sure you go over and give james a follow we're going to be back very very soon with more arsenal related content we're going to begin our build-up to that game against norwich city tomorrow so we'll be looking at potential starting lineups we'll be discussing uh some of the latest news as well as taking your comments and thoughts from the live chat box as always we'll be back very very soon with more until then take care and enjoy your evening ciao listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.